Good morning. It's uh, Good morning. lovely Good morning. to uh, be with you on this uh, special uh, Sunday where we indeed remember the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we want to look at this uh, Acts chapter 2 and uh, be refreshed in understanding something of the uh, insight that God's Word gives us to the ministry of His Spirit who's come to live within us. A.M. Brennick, in the prologue of his book, The Story of the Church, he writes, For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian church has exercised a profound influence upon the Western world. Since the beginning of the 19th century, its moral and spiritual influence has spread in a greater or lesser degree to almost all parts of the globe. No one, therefore, ought to be indifferent to the story of the Church of Christ. Now, the birth of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ took place almost 2,000 years ago now in the city of Jerusalem. It was there that the primary business of the Church to take the Gospel to the ends of the earth was to begin. Jesus had said to his disciples, following his resurrection, and Luke records his words, he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait there in Jerusalem until you're empowered to carry out the task that I've committed to you. And then, of course, he's Final words before being taken out of their sight in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in these verses that we've just re been read to us, in verses 1 through 4 there, we have the empowerment of the believers, the empowerment of the church. In the last hours that Jesus had spent with his disciples before his crucifixion, John records the, the themes and the teaching that Jesus was bringing uh, to them, and especially with reference to their preparation for this task of getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth. But the announcement of his impending death and his leaving them was deeply disturbing and bewildering to them. This was the one who they'd come to love. Here Jesus was their, their leader. He was the one to whom they committed their lives and their futures. It was to him who had uh, come into their experience and had brought, you know, purpose and, and aspiration. But he was telling them that he was about to leave them. And he was telling them that it was necessary that he left them. He was telling them that it was advantageous to them that he left them, if this great task that he committed to them would ever be accomplished. His physical, bodily presence with them was limiting 
God's global purposes of saving men and women and boys and girls from all the world's peoples. Listen to Jesus' words in uh, John 16. He says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, while ever Jesus was physically and bodily present uh, with them, his life was limited to that geographical situation where he was. Now when Luke sets out his purpose in writing the Acts of the Apostles, he refers to his previous record of Jesus' life that he'd written in his Gospel. But in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 he says, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now he could have continued, my next record of Theophilus is of what Jesus continued to do through his body of the church. This body which would multiply the impact of his resurrected life being lived through the apostles and for all of us who put our trust in Him as our Saviour and Lord. You see, the task that Jesus had committed to them to reach the world with the Gospel was impossible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The empowerment that Jesus had promised. In John 14, He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. Now, ten days after Jesus had physically gone from their sight, Jerusalem was, was crowded. There were masses of Jewish pilgrims from all over the, the known world who were gathered there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. This was an annual spring feast at which Jews presented the first fruits of their wheat harvest to God. That's found in Exodus 34. It was celebrated on the 50th day following the Passover. And this was the day that would be the fulfillment of what Christ had promised, of the divine helper coming to live within them. And amazingly, that day would be the first fruit of offering of 3,000 souls who would be presented to the Father, this wonderful harvest, as a result of the Spirit coming and then powerfully speaking through Peter and drawing people to himself. 
Now in verse 2 it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This noise that symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. The, the same word in the original language here is used both of wind and of spirit. Both Ezekiel and Jesus had used the wind as an illustration of God's spirit. And then it's accompanied by these divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The believers, they were gathered together in one place and they received this auditory indication of the promised Holy Spirit. But then they also received a visual sign of this, as it were, of the of fire that, that is there. The tongues of fire rested upon each of the 120 believers there and they received the Spirit of God. It was clearly not a normal fire, nobody was burned. But this that was taking place, and we believe it was in the temple, and if we had time I could demonstrate why, why, it, 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 where we get that from. Um, they, were, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it is this spirit baptism that occurs that they united them to the body of Christ, his church, and makes us members of his body. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. And this takes place once in the believer's life, when an individual trusts Jesus as Saviour. But what also took place at that time was, it says there in verse 4, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Yes, they were baptized into the body, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in considering what took place there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, in the temple, at nine o'clock in the morning, we need to be able to distinguish between what is incidental and what is fundamental, what is accidental, what is essential, what is transient and temporary, and that which is lasting and permanent. There are people who have tried to say, if we do this, this, and this, we can replicate what took place there. I remember as a young Christian, you know, being desirous to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be empowered by Him. Reading Michael Harper's book, As at the Beginning. And he makes the case there that if we did all the things that happened there at the uh, early, you know, days in Jerusalem at Pentecost there, we could replicate the same things. But you know, as I continued to study through the Acts of the Apostles, I realized that there were other incidences where the baptism of the Spirit takes place of the Ephesians. When Paul asked them, you know, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? No, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Spirit. But there was no tongues. 
there, there was no tongues of fire, there was no, there was no noise. There are other incidences in Acts where it speaks of the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. But again, there's no signs, there's no sounds, and they didn't always speak in tongues that they hadn't learned. But what is absolutely essential here, as a result of the exalted Christ sending forth the Holy Spirit into the lives of this small group of 120 believers, is the reality that Christ had now come to live within them. And they too could echo the words that Paul would write in, in Galatians there, where he said that I've been crucified with Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. Yet it is not I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. From now on, all those who trusted Christ the Savior were indwelt by him and became the very instruments through whom he would live his life life and reach the world. You see, their hands became his hands through which he could tenderly touch individuals with his care. His feet, their feet became his feet to run to the aid of those in need. Their eyes became his eyes to see the plight of the lost and to be moved with the same compassion that Jesus speaks of as he, as he looked on the crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Their voice became his voice to plead with men and women to be reconciled to God. As the risen Lord so lived in my life, does he so control my life that I can honestly say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? You see, this is, this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 18, we read, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with with the Spirit. Paul draws a contrast between a person who is drunk and out of control under the influence of alcohol with the believer who too is to be so intoxicated with the Spirit of Christ that they're no longer in control. It's Jesus who's living his life through them. Filling, speaking about being under his total uh, control. In fact, this verse there in Ephesians says that we are to be being filled. There are moments, unfortunately, in our lives when we grieve the Spirit or we quench the Spirit. And at such times we need to confess unbelief, perhaps disobedience, a reluctance to speak up in testimony. And we need to confess that we might be forgiven and again allow the Spirit of God to fill and to control our lives. So the 120 
uh, believers here at Pentecost were first, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they were indwelt by the Lord Jesus, they were uh, brought into his, his body, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by him. The experience, the animating life of Jesus being lived in and through them, which was absolutely necessary if they were going to be effective as his witnesses, both there in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There were now 120 members of Christ's body, the church, through whom Jesus could speak out to this needy world in which we live. In, in 1982, my, uh, myself and my family, we moved from the country of Senegal, where we began our ministry, uh, to the Ivory Coast. And uh, the Ivory Coast there was a country that NPM didn't have any work. There were other good mission organizations working there. But of the 70 different people groups there, many had been uh, engaged with by different mission organizations. But in all the country, there were people groups who were still not being reached with the gospel. And we did uh, a number of surveys. We talked to mission leaders. We talked to church leaders to determine, you know, where we as an organization might uh, fit in. And as the Lord gave us families and single men, single women who came out uh, to the field, we were able to plant teams in a number of different people groups, particularly up there in the north amongst the Laurent, amongst the uh, uh, Halakha, uh, amongst the, uh, the Komodo, and then later in the south amongst the, uh, uh, the Glaro. Interestingly, our families, you know, all had to learn their languages. None of them got the gift of tongues and of an unlearned language. They all had to uh, put in the effort that it took to learn uh, languages. And in fact, in all the uh, 70 odd years that NTM has been working amongst, uh, I don't know how many people groups around the world, I've never heard of anybody who was given this gift uh, to speak the language, communicate the gospel, uh, through the gift of, of, of tongues. But as they, as they got to that point that they were able uh, to teach God's word, and as they began to uh, see the Spirit of God take the words that they were using and convince these people of the reality of who God was, and to convince them of their separation from him and the impossibility of doing anything in themselves to gain acceptance with God. We saw the Spirit of God powerfully convince them of their sin, but also of the wonderful salvation offered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is absolutely thrilling as I look back now is to see these ones who are now members of the body of Christ as we are, and here they are reaching their own Jerusalem and even going beyond and, and reaching out to, uh, to neighboring people groups. They too are being used of God to spread the gospel of Jesus. Now, such were the events there at Pentecost, this noise that was heard throughout the city. There was no wind, but there was a noise. And it was heard throughout the city. And then 
when the people, you know, gathered, probably at the temple courtyard there, to, what in the world is happening there? They, they come across these disciples filled with the Holy Spirit speaking their own, in their own languages. And it says there that they were bewildered. And so here in verses 5 to 13, we move from the empowering of the believers to the inquiring of the unbelievers. As I said earlier, these Jerusalem at this time was full of Jews from all over the then known world. It says in verse 5, devout men from every nation under heaven. They all come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, the feast of first fruits. And Luke here mentions 15 different languages that were spoken there. And as they listen to these disciples filled with the Spirit, they hear them speaking in their own tongues and languages. What, what, what is this? You know, how, how are we hearing them speaking in all these different languages? These are just Galileans. Where in the world have they come? And, and we hear this, you know, voice, voices of these people praising God in our own tongues. And what happened there led the uh, crowd to, and uh, Luke describes their uh, response, they were bewildered, that they're amazed, they're astonished, verse 12, they're perplexed. Really interesting, I was one time in uh, Yamasukro, which is in the middle of the country of Ivory Coast, and uh, a city, and uh, in the city there you get uh, people from many of the different people groups uh, around the country living in the city, looking for work usually, and one day, I was in, uh, in the city, and uh, somehow I, I came across two guys who were Laurent, belonged to the Laurent tribe, where some of our families were working up in the northeast part of the country, which was the, you know, their, their area where they lived. And I was able to speak to them in French. I, I greeted them in a few phrases of Laurent, which I... I, I've known from all my travels up there just to say, Adair, Adair, Chibarder, Bibarder, and ask him you know, the greetings. And then I would say, that was it, that's as much as I knew. But I said to him, I said, you know, I said, we've got some of my colleagues who live up in your area of the world who can speak your language. And they went, yeah, yeah, sure, you know. I said, well, when they come down one time, I'm going to come over and get you and bring you over and meet them. So sure enough, when uh, Nana and, uh, from the Netherlands and, and Jerry... Uh, were down in Yamasukra. I went over and got these two Laurent guys and, and brought them over there. And then Nana and uh, Jerry started to speak to them in their own language. Wow, these guys, their eyes are as big as horses. The words here that Luke used, bewildered, amazed, uh, uh, astonished, perplexed, were all the very words that you would use to describe the reaction of these two Laurent guys. How in the world and these two white guys here speaking our language so well. And they too, like the crowds in Jerusalem, said, what in the world does this mean? You know, it's sad today that the unsaved world out there are not asking the church, you know, what is happening there? You know, what, what does it mean? There's not that, that bewilderment, that uh, amazement, that perplexity. And I often wonder, why is it that we are not having the impact on the folks around us? Is it because 
Our lives are so, uh, so little different to the lives of the unsaved uh, around us. Perhaps it's our, our, our goals and, and, and life. They're just the same as unbelievers. We give our life, our energies, our time to acquire more and more for a, a better quality of life, a, a more secure life, uh, to be able to get a nice pension pot and retire early, and uh, that gives us more time for leisure and, and, and holidays. Is that, you know, what people outside seek? Remember reading a book called Radical, and if you ever need an injection, a challenging injection into your life, uh, the book Radical by uh, David Platt certainly did uh, that for me. Uh, I, I, I wrote down something that he said there. He said, I could not help but think that somewhere along the way we had missed what was radical about our faith and replaced it with what was comfortable. Here, the impact of these spirit-filled believers was such that the only explanation that the people could think of is that they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. Well, they were intoxicated, but not with alcohol. They were intoxicated with the Spirit of God within them. It was the divine stimulus that had empowered them, transformed their lives, and leading these religious but unsaved Jews to ask the question, what does it mean? There was a, uh, an Englishman who was working out in India. He was a civil servant out there, very successful, and he was on the path of promotion and so on. But while he was out there, he, he came to trust Christ as his Savior. He became disillusioned with you know, the purposes of his life and what he was giving himself for. And as he saw you know, the, the needs of the people around, and at that time he'd heard of the, uh, the beginning of the Salvation Army in, in England, he decided to return to England to go through preparation and training with the Salvation Army. He heard how they were working amongst the destitute, the deprived in England, and thought this would uh, prepare him to do the same type of work amongst the destitute, deprived uh, of India. But when he got back to India, he found it very difficult to uh, um, really be accepted uh, by them. He was failing in the very thing that he'd come to do, was to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And after much prayer, he decided that he would uh, abandon his, 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 his normal way of life, that he would wear the same clothing that the holy men of the Hindu religion and their begging bowl, and he would just walk around barefooted, in the same type of garb, with a, with a begging bowl, in order to bridge the gap, to gain acceptance, so that he could share the message of the gospel. Well, he and a companion went out there. They were not used to the temperatures, uh, the, the heat uh, on the paths and the tracks that they walked on. And, and it wasn't long before their feet were covered in, in, in blisters. And they came to this uh, village, hoping that they would be able to get a drink, uh, get some rest and maybe take care of their blisters. 
and they were refused, they were rejected, and, and so off they went out to the edge of the village, sheltered under a tree there, fell asleep, totally discouraged. While they were there, some of the folk from the village came and saw them, and they looked at their feet, and saw how sore and, and, and blistered they were, and it got them to thinking. There must be something important that these guys want to communicate, that they're willing to suffer such, and, and, and go through such misery. So when, when they woke up, they, they brought them into the, into the village there, they, uh, they gave them water, they washed their feet, they, they bandaged their feet, and they said, tell us, what is it that's so important that you're willing to suffer such to bring this message to us? And they were able, amazingly, in their weakness, to share Jesus. And it was the beginning of one people group, there 25,000 of the particular people group coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when, when our, our folks move into these uh, villages amongst these unreached peoples, they're not asking the question, what does this mean? They're asking the question about, oh, good, these rich white bobs have come in here, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get jobs, and uh, hopefully they'll uh, take care of our health issues, and uh, they'll be there to supply us, you know, with food when uh, uh, there are times of uh, shortage and, and famine. They're, they're, they're hoping that we're going to bring them, you know, material benefits, and, and we do. But it is only, you know, at the time of living with them. And as they see, you know, something of the, of the cost of being separated from our family, our loved ones, going through the same uh, illnesses and difficulties uh, that they experience, uh, to live without all the conveniences and the toys of the West, as they... Uh, uh, see us looking like fools, being willing to uh, appear stupid to them as we try to master their sounds that they speak and, 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 and come up with a, a, a language that, you know, is totally foreign to us. It, it, it's then, when they see all the struggles, that they began to ask the question, what does this mean? Why in the world are they really here? And they become open to listen to the message that we've come to bring to them. And we, we need to, you know, examine ourselves and, and ask the question, what is there about my life? What is there about the life of us as a church that brings about this amazement, this bewilderment, this perplexity, this astonishment to those amongst whom we live? It was this inquiry of the unbelievers in verses 5 through 13 that led to the opportunity for the explanation of the believers. What had been taking place there had led to the question, what does this mean? And that allowed Peter to stand up there. This man who seven weeks earlier had denied him three times. This man who would run away from the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Here he is, empowered by the Holy Spirit, standing up there with great perception and understanding of the Scriptures and, and holds forth in the one language that they all understood Aramaic. 
head of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. They were not there because Peter was some well-known preacher, some great uh, miracle worker. It was the spirit-intoxicated uh, believers there, their lives, individually and, and corporately, that gave the opportunity for the explanation. And Peter answers their question, what does this mean, by referring them to the Old Testament scriptures, from the prophet Joel, and then from the Psalms. And he showed how these passages spoke of Jesus of Nazareth. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then in verse 36, he concludes his explanation. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that Jesus whom you crucified. Oh, it wasn't the explanation they were looking for. But it had a definite impact upon their lives. And we see here now in verse 37, the enlightenment of the unbelievers. Jesus had said to his disciples in that upper room where they celebrated the Passover, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And now the uh, believers there had witnessed not the excellency or the eloquence of Peter's explanation, but they saw the Holy Spirit's enlightenment of their audience, of their guilt before God. And we, they cry out, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Their second question. And so the enlightenment that Peter brings leads to the exhortation. Verse 38 to 41, Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't tell them that they had to clean up their lives. He didn't tell them that they had to abandon their legalistic religious practices and traditions. He urged them to do the one thing that was essential, to repent and to believe on Christ, to believe and on what Jesus had done to pay for their sin. To believe on what Jesus had done in suffering the judgment of God against their sin on their behalf. To embrace Him and all that He had done to be their Lord and Savior. And then He rose again, victor over conqueror of sin and death, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it says there, they added that day, there were added 3,000 souls. We could, if we had time, speak about the enlargement and enrichment of the church, but we don't have time. In conclusion, during those 40 days following Christ's death and resurrection, 
he emphasized to his disciples the need to preach the gospel to every creature. That there were to be his witnesses there, yes, in Jerusalem where they lived, but then in all Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. At Pentecost, Jesus' followers were empowered by the Spirit of God coming to indwell them and to fill them, to make him known to all the world's peoples. Sadly, 2,000 years have passed and still the Great Commission remains uncompleted. It is only as we allow the Holy Spirit to live within us, to fill us, and to control us, that we will impact our Jerusalem. And then God will be able to send out those from our midst to reach out to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you this morning of the reminder from your word of this amazing day when your church was brought to birth. We thank you, Father, that your purpose was not just for the blessing of those there in Jerusalem, but it was to be the means of blessing all the world's peoples. And sadly, God, we have to confess that as a church we still haven't completed that task. But we pray again that your spirit would come and move within us and stir us and stimulate us and, and fill our lives, Lord, that, that we too would have that intoxication such that those around us would be asking the question, what does this mean? That would allow us to share with them our precious Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, raise up in our midst those to go and take this amazing message to the ends of the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name.